my name is Eric, and you're listening to Echoes Down the Road, a podcast presented by the band West of House. This is episode seven of season two, and today we'll be diving into the song Fall Down off of our latest album, Drown the Wind. You're going to learn a lot of fun facts today. We're going to talk about two instruments we've never used before that we recorded on the song. There's going to be some hidden messages in the lyrics that you might not have caught. And then we're going to raise Lance on a pedestal, and you're going to hear why he's the central focus of this song. So hang on tight. Here's Fall Down. Westies, welcome back. You are here with us, West of House and Bobby Phillips for episode seven. As always, my name is Eric. And my name is Lance. And my name is Bobby. And today we will be talking about Fall Down, and we're not going to waste a lot of time. You know, we we spend a lot of time in the intro, we screw around, we go off the rails, it goes crazy. We have so much into this jam-packed episode, buttloads of stems and stories and anecdotes, and, and even Lance has, this is like your episode, Lance. You guys keep saying that, and so obviously the stress and pressure, you're building me up, I'm only going to let you all down, but hopefully... Not completely. Spoiler alert, when we get to talking about Lance's bass part, he's just going to say, I played bass, and then we're going to move on. Almost. But I I actually wrote some extra notes because I know you guys built this one up, which I appreciate. Don't let it be like every other part of your life and just be a disappointment. (laughs) Well, I'm going to try my best today, but I will only disappoint that. Well, you know what? You know what is not disappointing? This. All right, let me see if I can get a good sound bite here. Ooh. That was a I was Ooh. okay. I, I give it a, a 6.8. Well, there was a little bit uh, of pre-seepage though. That sounded nice. Yeah. So, today I am drinking and I'm hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Lugene uh, from Odell Brewing Company down in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is just a 45-minute drive from me. And they're just across the street from New Belgium if anybody's familiar with Fat Tire. Uh, Lugene is their chocolate milk stout, uh, 8.5% alcohol by volume. And I think I looked it up. It was 21 IBUs. It's not on the bottle here. Um, but let's see here named to honor our local, excuse me, named to honor our favorite local farmer who hauls away our spent grain to feed his dairy cows. Lugene's chocolate milk stout is brewed with milk, sugar, and chocolate to create a rich and creamy brew. That reminds us of a cold glass of chocolate milk. And on this lazy afternoon for me, it's just a perfect beverage. That was nice. I, I mean, that was like a commercial. It did. You it was know? good radio voice. <laughs> it was all professional. And I, I kind of want to jump in my PJs, which I may or may not be in right now, and, and share one of those with you. Oh, it's a good wintertime uh, beer for sure. I'm enjoying it. We'll see if this actually, if it's still winter, there you go. Go out and find it, Westies. If it's spring... Well, it's, it's still good. Yeah, it's it, still it'll good. Be cold. It'll be cold when this comes out, this yeah. episode drops, February and, and or March. And the thing I would let people know about Odell's, just because they're one of my favorite breweries, probably top 10 in the area here, uh, they tend to have this kind of smoky quality, no matter which one you get, whether it's like their amber or their stouts, um, and their porter really kind of has it, but it's this kind of oaky, smoky sort of thing in across all of their brews. So if you're into that smoky, cigar-y sort of thing, check out Odell for sure. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, shall we shall we jump into it, boys, and see if we can keep this under two hours? Let's do it. That is our goal. All right. If you haven't already, now would be a wonderful time to go on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you stream music and listen to Fall Down. 
it's always good to have that song dripping through your head before we start talking about it so you can have those callbacks. And we will also play it at the end of the episode, you know, so you can take all the stories we've told and and hopefully get a new experience when you listen to the song. That's kind of the point of this. You know, we talk about these songs and we go deep into them so that every time you listen to them now, you know a little bit more than the average listener. And frankly, from what I've been told, that makes you better. So go ahead and play Fall Down right now. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. We're going we're gonna to go back now into the time machine to October 29th, 2020. At that time, I had been writing for Drown the Wind for, for just a week and, and Fall Down magically uh, came out of my fingers while playing guitar. That's a weird way to say it. Uh, Lance is probably thinking of something dirty, but it's really a very innocuous and innocent statement. What? Never. <laughs> you be, you've been caught. You've been called out. <laughs> but I was... So the first album, you know, it's a lot of... Uh, if you're a guitarist, I, I go through a thing called Helix in, in my DAW, and it's it's just an easier way for me to get different sounds without putting my whole rack together, without sticking out 6,000 pedals. But for this one, I, I kind of went back to basics and I just had a strat and two pedals and right into the DAW. And what's DAW? What's DAW stand for, Lance? Did we teach you that? Digital audio weirdness. Oh, he was oh. so close. Widget? Come on. Workstation. Workstation. You, See, that should uh, be you, a WS, but whatever. That's two Trick out of question. three. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's a better percentage than you got on the Nibwin quiz. Two thirds. I love two thirds. And uh, another thing I did with this one, I started uh, messing around with alternate tunings, which I, I don't do too much. I'll whip out the, the drop D every now and then, but there's actually two songs on the album that have alternate guitar tunings and were written that way, and this is one of them. And this is double drop D, so which is one more than drop D. That's one more, ain't it? So if you're following along at home, you know, basically the low E is tuned down to D and the high E is tuned down to D. And it really, it lets you open up some really interesting chord voicings, which is kind of cool. And you'll hear that throughout Fall Down. So we had double drop detuning. And then I, I just plugged the Strat into a, a new neighbor, a wet stereo reverb. And what I did was they have different uh, kind of patches you can download to that pedal. And instead of using just the normal reverb, I, I got a verb delay patch with it, which just sounds uh, glorious. So, And then I plugged that into a Strymon Iridium, which is kind of like an, an amp cabinet simulator. Uh, so with that, I think I had it set on like a like kind of a Fender Princeton reverb. And that's easier than pulling out an amp and micing it up. And so that goes straight into the DAW and just gave me a really clean, organic sound for this one, which this entire track is built on. And so I wrote this in one day, and let's go ahead and play the demo right now.
So there you go. And, you know, if you listen to the song, you know, the final, all that is still there. All that you're hearing pretty much. And my guitars were very basic. Uh, you know, I sent Bobby uh, two guitar parts, uh, both with left, right. So what's that? Four total. Yep. Good math. I, I can really, all those years removed from college and I can still add that. That's a good sign. And really, I had uh, a bass rhythm. And you can hear this just makes up the song, and that's that strap with those really clean, open voicings. Uh, you know, it's got the verb, it's got the delay, and that that kind of kind of gets the song, you know, from point A to point B. And then I also added an ambient track, and and this this one was kind of fun, and I think you guys will dig this. So what I did was I played a melodic part, which I'm playing right now. Not literally, you know, you're hearing it that would be weird if I were playing it while I was talking. So I played this, and it's just, you know, a melodic line. You're hearing single notes, you know, it's driving. But then what I did was I threw on some Replica XT and ROM. Those are reverb uh, digital effects. And I put those on it, and then you hear something like this. And it, you know, it's, it's so weird to me how effects can can change something so drastically and it's a fun part of songwriting to be able to take advantage of that it's another tool in the tool belt it's not a crutch it's not cheating we're still playing all the parts so whatever you purists out there are complaining about you know a pox on you this is another great tool and the fun thing this replica xt uh, patch you know what it was called it was called clouds which was what this song was always called. That was the demo. There so it is. that's where that came from. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> that, there's your clouds, Lance. Uh, it was such a nice title. I just thought of big puffy clouds and that fit the song even. It was a spacious, beautiful tune. You know, it was funny because, you know, clouds, I, I kind of, sometimes I name the demos after the feel of the song or something that crazy is going through my head. And that one really tracks with this song. It just feels like clouds, you know, which was interesting. And you'll see as we go on, like how much that actually influenced in the things we did on this. And for other guitars, the only things I added, I added two little samples. Uh, I added this one right here. And then I also added this one. And basically what I did was I used these two samples to just kind of thicken up that verse. Uh, there was something that seemed to be missing. And I didn't want to use something that will be mentioned a bit later. So I threw in some samples. Now, what was next? Who else played on this track? I know we have other guys in the band. They don't actually show up on this podcast too much because they're busy with the chillins. Yeah, they uh, were. Who, who played on this one? Uh, was it Kevin? Rem was it Dave? Reminds, it rhymes with cave. Yeah, cave. Kevin was definitely in baby mode for sure. 
Yeah, Kevin was was full baby Tron, I think, at this point when we switched it over. Uh, but Dave was available. And Dave did, how many tracks did Dave throw down, Bobby? Uh, so three different tracks, both left, right. So you have six total. And he did uh, two ambient. Dave likes to do a lot of ambient stuff. So Dave and Kevin, they're both very colorful guitarists. And for this one, you know, we didn't need riffs. We didn't need power chords. We just needed something to fill, to be those clouds things. So Dave has has three three tracks, like Bobby said, left, right. And so two of these guitar tracks are ambient. That's what you're hearing right now. And, you know, that's, again, a floating layer of clouds to kind of go with the rhythm and the other ambient guitar that I've laid down. And then Dave, uh, he also did a great, I love this line. He does this arpeggiated guitar over the choruses. And it's really just has a wonderful melodic feel to it. And I, I don't remember if I had, when I had given him the song, if I had vocals down yet, but it really went along well with the chorus vocals. It gave the song exactly what it needed, and it it's it's almost like he uh, took he was possessed by Kevin because there's some Kevinish playing in some of those arpeggiated parts too. You know, there's stuff that Kevin would do, uh, which is good. Maybe it's just the amount of time that they've been playing virtually together. They're they're becoming one mind. That's dangerous because that means we have two one minds between you and myself, and now Kevin and Dave, and which goes with Lance and Tommy who have no mind whatsoever that's that's correct between the two of them they have about a third of a brain what uh what i found really cool as i was going through this and we can talk a little bit more uh when we get to my section as it were is as you've mentioned how ambient and loose in in a rhythmic sense all of the guitars are when they come together because we've got effectively six tracks from dave and four tracks from you eric 10 tracks total or five left right pairs and other than Dave's arpeggiated part, there's not really much being contributed rhythmically. The whole thing acts as sort of a synthesizer pad would, but it's just a bunch of guitars doing the same thing. And I thought it was just awesome to have all of that melodic goo done by guitars. And I, we had ROM already on your tracks, and I added ROM. So, yo, dog, I heard you like ROM on your ROM. <laughs> ROM upon ROM. You, you can't go wrong. Nah. That could be a little, you know, plug for them. We love ROM. You've heard it talk about this before. Uh, but, I mean, and that kind of brings me to the fun part. The one thing I didn't want to do on this track, you know, just for artistic purposes, there are no keyboards on this track. No synth sounds of any kind. All that foundation you're hearing is guitars, which, for some reason, it just makes me really happy that we were able to pull that off because everyone who hears this says, I really love the keys. Well, there's no, there's no keys whatsoever. I, I love that. That that's just awesome. Yeah, it really does sound like a bunch of pads just giving this 
cozy little blanket to curl yourself up with while you're floating in the clouds. Speaking of cozy blankets, let, let's uh, let's move on to Tommy. So, Tommy, why don't you tell us about the drums? Hello, hello, Tommy. Tommy for four hundred, Alex. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? No. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's right. He he didn't show up again. I'll talk about Tommy for a minute. And about Tommy or his drums? His drumming. I don't okay. have much to say about my mindless mate. But, uh, I mean, overall, this is one of those examples. We've talked about this as a band on this podcast a few times. But, you know, the importance of playing to the song. And this is one of those examples on this album, which overall he did pretty darn well. I think playing to songs and he was so complimentary to the overall sound. And so wherever you are, Tommy, not probably on the couch, not participating. Kudos to you, Tommy. It was very clean and it was a very pretty sound for overall on the song. I think my favorite part was how much I love the texture that he had on his ride hits during the chorus sections. That was, to me, a stroke of genius on how he complimented it, but also still made it kind of interesting uh, texture-wise. So good wrist action on those ride hits, Tommy boy. Nice. Nice, Lance. You you really painted a picture there. I try. Uh, Yeah. I have nothing else to say about that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he did did well. You know, he he played it well. He played what was necessary. Uh, There's a lot of cool transition work. When I gave this song to him, uh, I really loved the program drums uh, because they were very simple. And, you know, sometimes I say, Tommy, play exactly what you hear from the program drums. He gets mad at me. He's like, screw you, hippie. But, you know, this time he he took some of that feel and added more Tommy stuff, which is exactly what it needed. Because the one thing I told him when he recorded the drums, I said, you have to drive it because, you know, Bobby had mentioned it. There's nothing driving. There's no rhythmic stuff in the guitars. You know, a lot of pads. So something has to drive this song. And that was all up to Tommy. And he did a really good job driving the song. And he had to drive it because there was one more crucial part. And which brings us to the crux of the episode. Without him, there would be no fall down. It was so good. Little Bastard got a writing credit for this song just for his part. So now we bring you to the base. Wow, this is the climax of the episode, isn't it? You, you even have music, dude. We threw music on you. So don't <laughs> screw it up. That's good. Actually, my nickname is Little Dirtbag because of my initials. And I don't know about Bastard, but you did hit that pretty well. Uh, yeah. I uh, thank you guys, I guess, for viewing it that way. This this was one of those songs, and I know Eric's mentioned this before, where he doesn't send chord charts. On purpose for this one. Yeah. I mean, maybe half of the songs you do that. I'm not sure if that's an accurate number. Just threw that out, pulled it out of my back pocket. But But there is a purpose to that, and this is an exact example of why Eric doesn't do that. Um, however... There's a little funny twist to this because whenever he doesn't, and I just play the song repeatedly and I'm doodling around, my mind always goes to this kind of stuff first, where I'm, 
I don't know, somebody said this once to me, it's almost like I'm solo basing, not necessarily like a big lead line, but it's just, it's so different. It's not a, uh, I guess it's my personal problem of not being a traditional bass player. So whenever I do do this, normally Eric, you know, hears it the first time and normally shuts me down. But this was one that of is those. A lie. Ex- hey, that you are lying. No, you were besmirching my good name. It's too busy, or it doesn't. Whatever. Most, I, when do I say too busy? Most of the time, I say that's awesome. That's well, maybe that's true. In my mind, whenever I do these off tangents, turning me into some kind of ogre. Well, that's mom, not- dad. Please stop fighting. I'm trying to eat dinner. <laughs> um, but he didn't rejected it all on the direction I was taking it. So I thought that was a major compliment, but it was kind of out there. So I was expecting to be slapped down a little bit, but, um, yeah, your, your text, your text was funny. I, I remember when you sent it, you said, all right, this is, you said something like, this is weird. Or this is different. <laughs> you know, tell me if you don't like it, you set it up before I listened to it <laughs> because you had done something completely different than you usually do. Yeah. That's my self-sabotaging ways for sure. But yeah, so those are my mental problems on full display as I will just kind of go on those kind of solo fun rides before I actually write a song. That's that's normally how I do this. And it might inspire and leak into what I end up playing, but in this case, it wasn't what wasn't that situation at all. Um, and the verse is the best example of that, I think, where I, I repeated that verse so many times and just created that weird... I don't know, offbeat, but it wasn't too nutty. It's just not a normal bass line. And you guys often call it a very melodic, which I guess is very accurate in this situation. Well, it had like a gallop to it also. You yeah. Know, it's, you know, it's, I mean, we, I hearken back to Maiden, Steve Harris, you know, he had kind of a gallop feel. And this was like the melodic bass player playing a. I don't know, a, a toned down Iron Maiden leg almost because it kind of had that melodic in it and it drove as well, you know, along with Tommy. Yeah. And, and again, and I think I did this before Tommy, right? Cause you had the program drums. So it just felt like I needed to do something kind of fun and different, or at least try to. And if it got approved, yes. So it worked out pretty well on that verse. And, um, I think, as I often do, I love the sound of a, a chorded note finishing progressions, and I think the verse finished that before I looped back and repeated my line. And, and then into the chorus, I think it was a little bit more direct and simple, but I still kept up the weirdness. A um, little less busy, but still try to be complimentary to everyone else at least. And then, you know, the bridge. Again, I kept it super straight to allow whatever was going to be laid down for their own greatness. But I do, again, I love my inclusion of sustained chords on bass. So I, I think I added a touch of that at the closure of each of those progressions in the bridge. And in the end, this ended up being three separate tracks, right, Bobby? Like I didn't, (laughs) out of my normal situation, I give you one track. Yeah. But this one, I, because each one ended so uniquely, I, I said, nope, I'm going to just play this and, and 
perfect it. And then I'm going to play the next section and perfect it and not worry about the switching of my left hand. I wanted to bleed into the next one. So, so I was going to talk about this in mixing, but you actually, this is a perfect time to mention it. So you gave me three tracks. Um, so you've got the intro before Eric's vocals come in, which is really just kind of a held out. What was it like a, an octave thing? I think on that probably. Yeah. But yeah. it was very sustained. It wasn't as rhythmic as the majority of the rest of the track, the, your main bass line there. And then coming in at the second chorus, you had a higher melodic part. I'd love for you to talk about that. That actually sounds familiar. I, I didn't realize it was two separate tracks, but there is a higher line. And, and maybe, gosh, I should have done more research on my end, but... What I think I did now that you joggle my mind. It's okay. We're gonna we're playing it right now while you talk, so it's there. No, perfect. Now that you've joggled my mind, I uh, I think I put the two together. Where in the bottom end, I think I actually combined the two. I'm playing something lower and straighter and simple, where this one is a little more high and flyy, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's my that's my favorite part there. I mean, were you, you know, he sends the three tracks, which is always weird coming from Lance. Uh, but then when I put them together, because uh, originally you didn't know which parts you wanted to play. And so you said, well, I like this part and the chorus and I like this part here. And then uh, you came to a realization and you said, wait, stick them together. You're right. And we, and we put these tracks together and it totally worked because we were looking on it's coming back to me too. We were thinking about like where to mix and match and like what to cut out, where to drop volumes. And then this accident, you know, and I don't know where your mind was, but it was, it was perfect. You, you know, just putting them all together and you're like, wait, this actually works really, really well. You're absolutely right. I totally forgot about that. There was two different chorus lines that I wrote and both were cool. And you're right. They then ended up bleeding them together and overlaying them or just playing the two tracks together. And I think that's, what I sent was them together, or maybe I separated them and one was one chorus and it was the other, but yeah, they were separated originally. And then we threw them in and played them at the same time. You know, the other thing I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if now's the best time, but since we're talking about it, it's really with you, Bobby, because when I was finished with all of that and kind of excited, Eric was excited. I just noted that after I uploaded it, there were some inconsistencies and in like micro timing and hits and all that other jazz. And still to this day, I don't know if I brainwashed myself and said, yes, it's perfect. But obviously Bobby to the rescue, because I did loop a lot of those lines. When I was playing those verse sections and chorus sections endlessly, I finally found like what I thought was the perfect progression. And I would just loop that four times or whatever. And when I matched it, I thought it was perfect time-wise, but in the end, it wasn't perfect. And you mentioned to me if I, if you one section was nice, one section wasn't. So it wasn't always consistently off. It was just all over the place, microscopically off, and it bothered me to no end. I, I remember this. Um, there was this weird kind of push and pull with it that, yeah, it, like normally, if we were going for more of a live feel. I would be kind of okay with, but the problem was that the drums weren't following that push and pull. And when you have that whole rhythm section feeling that loose and let's be frank, sloppy at that point, um, no shade to either you or Tommy. No, it's true though. Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
When, when, when you have that ebb and flow and, and the rhythm section isn't following itself, whether it's the drum following the bass or the bass following the drums, they're not locked in and, and communicating, which is bound to happen when you've got a not live situation. Tommy's in Utah, you're in California. It really does need to be adjusted. So I do remember, I don't remember you telling me about looping the parts, but I do remember where like the first half of a verse would be spot on. And then the second half like drifted either ahead or behind in time. And I'd have to kind of like, I'd cut out like four or eight bars and notch them back a little bit. Like we're talking milliseconds at this point for the audience listening. Right. But I do remember that knocking those back into place. And then once we got it, like it was locked and it was perfect and it was so locked in and I was so done with it that when I pulled up the session today, I had forgotten this was the track that we did that on because I bounced it out to be one bass track. So I didn't have to deal with it anymore. Right. I think that no, it makes sense. <laughs> and, and, and that's, what's funny because I mean, maybe since it was looped, I don't know if I told you that it was looped. Mm -hmm. There's no way that it could have been a first or second progressions, third and fourth being different because they were identical. So that's why in my brain, I was so confused and it was pretty late in the process. I mean, we were, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth version that you have done. And Eric finally egged me on to bring it up because it bothered me to no end. And Eric was like, yeah, I guess I noticed it, but bring it up to Bobby and he can probably fix that. And so I'm so glad we did because now it's in a pocket. It's so tight and crisp, which it wasn't before. And it gave me nightmares. So one of my struggles in the mixing process when it comes to that stuff, because I also edit um, and I help you guys out with that, you know, clean out like noises and pops, you know, Eric's shuffling in between sections of songs and uh you know if tommy's don't mock my dancing it's necessary <laughs> to a good performance rhythmic uh but i also edit for the band and help them out with some of that and it's it's hard for me because i have to kind of go back and forth between getting really stuck in the weeds on those tiny little details while still maintaining an overall picture of the song and that one just flew under my radar until you mentioned it and as soon as you mentioned it, I was looking for it and I noticed it. And then we locked it in. I think we got it in after like two more revisions because I caught part of it, but I missed something in a bridge or something like that. I don't remember the exact order of operations for that. But yeah, once we locked it in, like it was locked period in period. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to train Lance to be more vocal because cause he's, you know, usually so laid back. He's like, oh, yeah, this is off, and I don't want to bug Bobby. I'm like, Bobby can fix this in five seconds. You know, <laughs> just just tell him. Because, you know, stuff we learned on Crescendo that no one else knows, but, I mean, there's there's still mistakes on Crescendo that, you know, maybe I should have brought up or whatever. Nope. But w what we did on Drown the Wind is we didn't put up with any of that because we had developed a working relationship with Bobby and felt comfortable enough and knew how fast he can fix something to where it could just, you know, send a message, hey, hey, Bobby, there's this, and I don't know what to do. And he's like, ah, I got you. So we, we have a much, I don't want to say better working relationship because it was great on Crescendo too. But there's just, we're all kind of, of of one mind and really want that perfect sound, you know, which is one of the great privileges of doing a record with someone who's also, you know, a friend now, you know, with Bobby being part of the family, where if it were some, rando mercenary you're like oh i need to fix this too and they're like no i'm working on this polka song now so you guys can go screw yourselves and that's i that sounds like a real story that actually came out of the 90s for me i don't know i have so many of those so bobby i mean really to you it, it's a compliment because 
we feel so comfortable working with you and we know that you love the songs as much as we do. And there's really this kind of symbiotic relationship to put out the best art that we can together. And part of my goal as a mixing engineer, whether it's with you guys or Eric's solo stuff, or if I'm working on somebody else's stuff, because I am seeing other bands. No. Sorry. What? What are you you talking about? You bastard. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Part, part of my goal as a mix engineer is to make sure that uh, within reason, everybody's happy with the final product. Obviously, there are going to be some creative differences, no matter how small they are, where somebody always wants their part louder or they want to hear more of this. Or, Tommy. And you have to just kind of balance between what's the overall vision, what takes precedence, and what's going to deliver the best final product. But to get back to Lance there, like really I'm encouraging you on the podcast. So everybody hears it. If you hear something out of whack with one of your parts and I miss it, like, tell me you're not going to hurt my feelings. Well, speaking of people who are always ready, let's talk about vocals. Yes. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) I was so ready for this one. I did it twice. So we we kind of referred to it uh, back in the last episode when we talked about beautiful distraction, this was recorded, the vocals were recorded around a time when it was allergy season. And the first take, it, it was good, but it wasn't great. So I, I don't recall how late in the... Oh, this was the same day that I did the Beautiful Distraction second takes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you did all of that in the same day, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah, there's two... So three songs and two of them, Beautiful Distraction and Fall Down. We'll talk about the other one when we get to it. But yeah, all recorded in the same day because I woke up and... Yeah, you hear that? That's allergy season right now. But it wasn't at that time because I think we were we were coming up to summer and it was a little better and I was breathing well. And so I went in there and I knocked out this the second time, you know, the final version you have. The, that's the second time through those vocals. Uh, but, but the feel I wanted to go through was, again, kind of, it was still called Clouds at the time. I had all the lyrics. They were all there. But, but Clouds was the feel. So I went kind of with a gentle, uh, lilting feel. Oh, did you think of everything before you left this time? Even in the demo, when I when I did the demo, I recorded it sitting down. Which uh, singers, you know, we don't normally do that. But there was there was some kind of tonal thing in that, in the fact that I was so relaxed. Uh, that I really wanted that in the final version, you know, and and hopefully that that came across in there. Pictures of our broken dreams and memories that And and the other thing was it it has this song has one of my favorite uh, BGVs background vocal lines. And it, which is, it's almost like a call and response. And it's that line the in the second verse where it ends, you know, cover your eyes and just let go. Sounds like this. Cover your eyes and just let go. And the, uh, the other thing, which is really cool, which it's those little things that kind of make a song awesome, is the very ending where we, those, those vocals just kind of, fade out, as we like to say on this podcast quite a bit, into the ether. Fall 
it's it sounds so cool. Oh, it sounds great. It does. It was a genius I, I idea. I just love the way that song ends. Yeah, that was genius. That vocal verbing out at the end is just great because it goes on for, I don't know how many seconds. It's a good like seven, eight it's a, seconds. Yeah, it's a bit there. Yeah. And it was a perfect end to side one once you sequenced everything. That's true. Uh, it worked out. So, which brings us to uh, two other little friends in this song. And and this was this was fun. This was kind of a treat for me, you know, along with the horns we did on Beautiful Distraction. This was something different that we hadn't done before that I, I had always wanted to do. So you, you have that solo section in the song, and it was empty for a long time. And I, you know, I never wanted to put guitar there. I didn't want keys there because something didn't fit. And the song had a feel where it needed something different. And so I had two ideas for different instruments. And one was an Irish tin whistle, and the other was a hammered dulcimer. And if you're not familiar with these, you know, put those into YouTube and listen to them. And they're very, very Celtic, Irish-feeling instruments. They have very specific sounds, and those were the sounds that that I wanted in there. So I reached out to Fiverr, as we are apt to do in West of House, to to find some freelancers who play this, because I don't know anyone, you know, personally, who plays a hammer dulcimer or an Irish tin whistle. What? Not not the most, yeah, they're not the most uh, common instruments. Especially in Orange in County, California. they're all over the place. Yeah. Wait a minute. Street corner. You there, dulcimer <laughs> man. Give me some crab juice. Uh, you know, so I go into Fiverr and I found some guys and I listened to a few clips and then I, I talked to two gentlemen in particular for Hammer Dulcimer, a man, uh, Italian gentleman named Val Cortoni and for the Irish tin whistle, Jamie Jordan. And both these guys nailed it. Just absolutely nailed it. So the, the band members, they didn't know what was coming. And I threw in, I, I, I think I texted you. I said, Hey, I've got two versions of this song. So give it a listen and tell me what you think. And so, you know, 24 hours goes by with no responses because they don't listen to my text. Totally fine. What? <laughs> you know, maybe you did, Lance. I, I think you did. The I remember were, this, who, by the way. Who knows? And so I sent two. I said, tell me which one you like better. And uh, Lance, you, what did you say? I, I thought I responded pretty quickly, but it was like, damn it. They're both so good. I don't know how to make a decision between the two. I like them both, and that didn't help you at, at all, obviously, but it was the truth. They were such fun sounds. I didn't know what a dulcimer was. I'd heard the sound. I just didn't know that's what it was called, um, but yeah, I, I liked them both. Yeah, the, the, I think uh, most guys liked them both. Uh, the- Tommy was different, though. Tommy is different. <laughs> Tommy had a very different response. Hey, what You can go into that. Well, okay. So again, I'm, this is my interpretation of the thread, but I'm sure you had a different experience with him personally. Um, I think he despised both sounds, if I recall. He thought neither had a place on this song. And I, I don't know. I feel like one he hated more than the other, but I, I know for like when we decided to split him or whatever, he still was a totally against the grain which typically, and I don't want to hurt his feelings, but typically when he says this, we do the opposite and it's perfect. And it sounds mean, but... <laughs> I, I, just, I just remember one of the comments, and Tommy, this is what you get for not showing up to work today. So, you know, <laughs> shut up, Tommy. Uh, one of his comments was on the tin whistle. He said, it's too breathy. 
I'm like, well, yeah, it's it's a wind instrument. <laughs> well, since we're ragging on the guy too, he kept calling it a flute as well. Oh yeah, that, that that's true. Gets me to no end. It's not a flute. It is a tin whistle. Yeah, my mom's a flautist, so I took personal offense to that. Ooh. There you go. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe we'll put her on the third album. Yeah, let's get you her guys going. Can do a, a bass jazz flute solo. Some anger well. man for and you. We'll throw it through portal and make it all avant garde. Love it. So for whatever reason, uh, we agreed on the the Irish Tim whistle, you know, for that solo section. And so I, I put that in, and it, it wasn't sitting well with me because I love the dulcimer part. You know, one person, uh, I won't say his name. We'll call him, I don't know, Bommy. Or uh, Bommy. He said, he, said, <laughs> he said, put them both together. And, you know, it wasn't like the bass. That, that didn't work. It sounded like, you know, soggy cat diarrhea. That's how bad that was. <laughs> but, but the dulcimer was too good. And so what I did was, you know, I, I went into my DAW and I, I threw some extra time there at the beginning of the song and I just moved it. And I moved it to the beginning and we turned it into an intro. So quarterly, it's over that, that solo section, but it worked as an intro and I played a little bit with timing and when it started. And yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I love it where it sits now. Didn't you have to play around with like... The timing of it? Yeah, I played around with timing, and I actually played around with uh, the resolution because the resolution coming out of the solo section uh, into the next part of the song didn't work. So I went into uh, Melodyne, which if you don't know, it's it's used mostly for vocalists, and you can use it to change notes and make things that are flat. So I went into Melodyne, and Melodyne tracked all the notes, and I actually changed the notes at the end using Melodyne to have it resolve into the beginning of the song. Because it didn't quite fit. There were some extra hits that didn't work. And I didn't want to go back to the guy because, I mean, on Fiverr, these guys undercharge, you know, and I don't know what we paid for it. It was something silly, like $30, which for session work is absolutely ridiculously cheap. Yeah. And, you know, I just went in there and changed a few things and he did a great job. What he played was for the solo part. That wasn't on him, but I had to change it so it worked as an intro. And, yeah, it just, I don't know. When that comes in after Beautiful Distraction, Beautiful Distraction has that little fade-out part, and then the hammer dulcimer comes in. It's just, ugh, love it. Chills all up and down. So cool. What what kind of rock song has these kind of sound qualities? Love it. Little Celtic Celtic bands, I suppose. That's Celtic true. Rock bands. I do love them. But I should listen to them. Yeah. More. 
you don't hear enough hammer dulcimer. I mean, very few bands. And I've had many, many of our reviewers that have done this album have no idea what that is. No one has actually got it right. You know, I, I don't know if we'll do it again. I don't want to overuse something like that. We'll do something weirder on the next album, I'm sure. But yeah, that was our little homage to Celtic rock there and a few other things that we'll kind of go into when we hit lyrics. But before we get to that, uh, Bobby, do you have any other little studio notes? Yeah, so uh, there's there's a couple things here I want to touch on. Um, so jumping back to Lance's bass being sort of the driving focal element other than, of course, the lyrics, because the story the song is telling is always king when it comes to that sort of thing. But I let Lance's bass be the driving primary force of the song as it just took over with that. And what ended up happening that I didn't realize until I was going back through the session today in preparation for this episode, I didn't do other than a little bit of compression just to let the bass sit level wise pretty evenly across the song. There is no EQ on your bass line. There's no other processing, just a little bit of compression to hold it in place. And that was it. And in hindsight, what I ended up doing was building the song around your bass and letting the bass kind of dictate where everything goes sonically as far as an EQ thing and a volume thing and a compression thing. And as I was going through the tracks today, I usually start with the drums and I did. I soloed up the drums first and I realized that I had shoveled a ton of low end out of the drums. Usually there's a fair amount of low end, particularly in the kick drum and the toms to really give it that solid hit in the low end, kind of hit you in the chest sort of thing. That's really not there with this track because your bass dictated that the drums wouldn't have as much low end to get in the way of your bass. So this is really just the Lance mix mixing episode. So drums and guitar, I mean, I always shovel a bunch of low end out of guitars and vocals just so they're not like cloudy and rumbly and you don't get any, you know, if an air conditioner or a heater was on when it was being recorded, like that gets cut out, but your bass is dominating the low end and it worked out beautifully. Um, back on the drums, the only other thing that really came up was, um, because this is a hi-hat heavy song, I was having trouble getting the sort of upper mid attack out of the snare drum, uh, that I usually like to hear sort of a crack. And uh, because as I boosted the high end to get what I wanted out of the snare, I was hearing some nastiness coming from the hi-hat, which if you know the way a drum kit is arranged, the hi-hat is immediately to the left of the snare if you're on a right-handed drum kit. And it was just bleeding into the snare mic too much. So we actually ended up chucking a sample in there from one of the many libraries I have, not to replace the snare entirely, but just to get that upper edge crack attack and bite so you can actually hear the snare. So it's not replacing Tommy's performance, it's augmenting it. And you could, I mean, we could spend an entire episode on, you know, sample replacement and vocal tuning and all these other, what some people will call cheats, quote unquote, but that's for another time. So, so you basically Viagra'd his snare sound. Yeah, I, I, uh, per, I did some performance enhancing uh, moves there, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I gave him, I gave his drums the little blue pill. Incidentally, drums are blue in my tent, in my template. So that worked out. <laughs> uh, other than that, there wasn't really a whole bunch to comment on that was unique. I think the most unique thing is that the bass was largely left alone and everything was built around that. The guitars are drenched in reverb, our ROM on top of ROM sort of situation. I do remember we 
made the decision, we, I made the decision to edit out the inhales on the tin whistle. Um, if you listen to the raw tracks that we were given, if you listen to the tin whistle track, you'll hear Jamie taking his inhales to start another line. And that that's normal. It's a wind instrument. You're going to hear him take a breath to catch his breath and then start playing notes again. And normally I like to leave those sorts of things at least somewhat intact because it's a human performance and you want to make sure it comes across as human. But as I was going through the mix, I ended up actually cutting out all of those inhales because it was distracting. And so there's sort of a decision to be made there. So all you hear is the tin whistle, no inhale breaths. I remember that being a conscious decision. The dulcimer was just some reverb. There was no EQ or compression on that. Just left it alone, chucked a little bit of space on it. And vocal was pretty standard. I think we used a little bit more reverb than we usually do, which is already a lot. Um, but because it was such a uh, sort of lilting isn't the right word, but you just have these really sustained out notes. And I wanted to add sustain to that with the reverb. So even after Eric stops singing a note at the end of a line in a verse, you still hear that note trail on for like five, six seconds. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Just shoveling out a bunch of low end from everything to make room for the bass and build everything around the bass. And then adding our standard West of House goo on top of everything. And yeah. Goo. And it's a winner. It worked. It's a winner. You did a hell of a job as always. Thank you, my friend. So let's let's move on to, I mean, it's not as important as the bass on this one, but yeah, let's talk about the, the lyrics, if we will. Uh, I'll throw it to you guys first, as we are apt to do. Well, I, I I think Bobby and I are in a similar place where I don't think I've looked at these in forever and I never spent much time anyways breaking them down. Thanks. Makes me feel good. Appreciate it. <laughs> I've admitted that's my own personal issues. I've already been exercised of those sins. That being said, I you know, I'm looking at them now and I've looked at them today in preparation. I have no idea what this is about. However, I do love this whole bit because you're such the the mental jujitsu guy of putting these things together that allows us to come up with our own version. So I do appreciate that. And hopefully our listeners do as well. So I'm just going to pull this out and do my best. I All I see here is there's definitely a tenuous relationship with someone and something or somebody and somebody else. I don't know what that is. I can't even come to think of it. But I will say the chorus and the second verse, what speak to me the loudest. So trying to you know go ahead, fall down. It's like, screw yourself. Why don't you self-destruct? You can face plant. That's what I, I visualize there. But this, can you feel the sun? I feel is a redeeming quality that it can cleanse and wash, remove whatever filth is going on. And it's a purifying event. That's what I see in the chorus. But the second verse is pretty awesome, and I wish I could pull more out of this. And it is the namesake of our album, Drown the Wind, which I love that you also include to drown the wind inside because part of our album art that we've talked about, there is this internal pulling of you know wind being this positive thing potentially, but it's inside, it's an internal process. What's drowning it outside? I, there's just so many beautiful things with that whole phrase, which is why I love it for our album title, because it can mean so many things. But 
tearing that veil amid a scream. I mean, my God, could there be a more powerful, disturbing landscape that you're painting? But I get confused with your vision of the blind reaching out for you. Because how could a blind person reach out? I guess they hear it. They hear the well, scream. They have arms. Well, true, and they have ears, <laughs> right? It's not missing limbs. But I guess they 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 hear the scream and they're reaching out. I I don't know. There's so much to unpack that I can't quite get to. But um, I do applaud you for giving some in, invigorating words for us to dissect, Bobby. I just at least it was a swinging strikeout. But hopefully you can put the ball in So, play. listeners, what you didn't see on our Skype call is when Lance started talking about go ahead and falls down and he said the words like, go screw yourself. I made a face that said something, something to the effect of, oh, I didn't get that at all. So I took the time while Lance was waxing poetic to read the lyrics and try to internalize my own interpretation. And considering that and the time that it was written... October of two, no, um, sorry, Eric. When did you write the lyrics? You mentioned earlier the lyrics came later. Sometime in 2021. I, I, I don't think I, I could look it up in the archives, but it, it was in. Regardless, we're living in what I think most everybody would agree is a tumultuous time. A lot of people are experiencing burnout and um, sort of this discomfort and and unrest and throw in all the words you can think of for this sort of thing. I know I've felt it in varying degrees. I know the guys have felt it. What I'm getting from this is the chorus, I'm sorry, the verses being the sort of, here's where you're at. You're dealing with all of this stress and this burnout and you're carrying this burden of whether it's internal and you're dealing with uh, personal strife or family strife or anything like that, or if it's external and you're seeing what's going on with uh, the political climate in America or um, you know, the whole state of the world with COVID and Black Lives Matter, like pick your poison with there. Like everybody's carrying some sort of burden with regards to the state of the world and the state of the, the self. And then the chorus seems like sort of a, it's going to be okay. You don't have to be strong, like carrying a burden on your shoulders. Go ahead and fall down, like collapse. It's going to be fine. Can you feel the sun? Let it wash and just kind of take a deep breath and regain your composure and just relax for a minute and just like catch your breath and take care of yourself. Like you, there's, you know, you hear it all the time, you put on your own oxygen mask before you help somebody else. And that's kind of the vibe I got from this. Um, but I'm as usual and always interested to hear what Eric says about this. Those are both so good. I, I mean, I'm reticent to even go into <laughs> it because I, I love both of those. I like that. You know, you guys took, uh, you know, some similar ideas there, but, but also some completely different things that, I mean, they work. I, I can't say those don't work because, you know, they do. And so part of me just wants to end the episode there as I don't want to ruin it, but I, I will, I'll ruin it. Uh, so this was, it was an interesting song. When I was writing the lyrics, you know, I, I had the chorus for a long time in my head that go ahead, fall down. Can you feel the sun? Oh, let it wash me. Oh, let it wash me and don't cry. So that was always kind of there. But this is one of the few songs on the album. It may even be the only one. I'd have to go back. Uh, that I didn't realize what it was about until I was done. 
So I, I write a lot of stream of consciousness now, and I kind of let my subconscious throw things out there. And then I'll sit down and look and say, okay, what is this unpacking, you know, in my own psyche? What is this trying to say? You know, I, I know it'll mean something different to everyone. And I love that. That's exactly what art should do. But what was this one trying to say? And the dulcimer and the tin whistle unlocked the true meaning of this song for me. So going back to uh, 80s and 90s, there, there is an artist uh, who used the hammer dulcimer and even some tin whistle, but the, the dulcimer mainly in, in his repertoire. And it's an artist that has resonated with me uh, my entire life, someone that I respect uh, more than anyone from a musical, uh, lyrical standpoint. And, and someone, a Lance you'll know, Bobby, you may or may not. Uh, his name was Rich Mullins. And he, he passed away in 1997. Uh, he was in a car accident. But so he comes from the, ugh, I hate saying it, the contemporary Christian music scene, which is, it's God awful. I mean, the majority of the music is absolutely terrible. It's trite. It's formulaic. It's it's just made to sell uh, to a certain demographic. You know that being Christians, but but in that genre, there are a few pearls there. And one thing Rich Mullins did was he wrote very counterculture to to what was going on in uh, Christian culture at that time. He he pushed a lot of people. He turned over a lot of tables. He challenged things that you weren't allowed to talk about. And he did that, you know, uh, lyrically in a way that a lot of people didn't even know what he was doing. And that's a lot of what I try to do in my lyrics too. I'll try to push back on something and you may not even know. It's like when we talked about Entwined. Uh, No one knew that Entwined was about the LGBTQ experience. Uh, Until we pointed it out. No one really figured that out. And that's, that's fun to me. And so uh, when I looked at this song, you know, and I looked at what I was saying, this is me wanting to kind of take up that mantle, and I've always wanted to, of, of pushing people lyrically, of really saying some pointed things that, uh, offensive things even, that, you know, to cultural norms. And that's exactly what he did. And you know, that first verse, oh, did you think of everything before you left this time? Pictures of our broken dreams and memories that were mine. But far be it for me to tell your truth when your truth is left behind. That's about, that's about his death and about him, him leaving. And, you know, there's a lot of melancholy in his songs, a lot of uh, descriptions of brokenness, and that all came from that. And then the second verse, which is my favorite, uh, maybe on the album, it's, I, like Lance said, there's something about that picture. So, and this is, it's not one thought, it's its two different thoughts. Uh, the first thought is tear the veil amid the scream. And what that means is it's tearing that veil away and exposing uh, the corruption that was in, especially one thing he did in Christian culture, he kind of tore that veil and said, you guys are ridiculous. And there was a great pushback to that. And that's the scream. The second thought was, a vision of the blind reaching out for you and me to drown the wind inside. You know, once you tear that veil and you expose things, you have people pushing back to try to destroy you. And they did. A lot of people pushed back on Rich Mullins and they 
you know, they pushed him aside and they marginalized him. And, you know, he wasn't the big arena star and he never wanted to. This guy, he didn't even wear shoes and he lived on a Navajo reservation. I mean, th- that is, what is cooler than that? He wasn't driving around in $70,000 sports cars like all these other, you know, quote, Christian musicians were doing. They were trying to preach one thing, you know, about humility and helping the poor, but they were living the opposite. Rich never, you know, lived the opposite. He, he, he lived exactly what he spoke, and I had the privilege of actually meeting him. Uh, he played a show in, uh, I think, San Juan Capistrano, South County, Orange County. And I walk into this place, and it's in this little podunk church. And there's a dude in the lobby with no shoes, a T-shirt, white T-shirt with holes in it. And he's just sitting at a table. And he was, I don't know, people were buying tapes or something. And I just went in, and I'm like, oh, you're... You're Rich Mullins <laughs> because you don't expect these guys to be hanging out in the lobby. And he was very sweet. And, you know, just I had a little conversation with him. It, it didn't go very long, but his countenance was real. And that's one thing that's really resonated with me. And so that chorus uh, and, you know, Bobby, you, you kind of hit on it when it says, you know, go ahead, fall down. That's me just saying, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you did your job. You know, can you feel the sun and let it wash me, let it wash me and don't cry. He did his job and he said what he needed to say when it was here. And that's a very, that chorus is very comforting to me. It's, it's kind of like a, a benediction, if you will. And that was my, my benediction to him. So in, in a nutshell, you know, it's, I don't know if anyone will ever pick up on that besides people who listen to this and hear me say it, because I, I don't say anything really telling in there that says this is for Rich Mullins. And I didn't put that in any of our any of our bios or anything. But that is what the song is about. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Super interesting to me. I pulled up his Wikipedia page while you were talking about that just to kind of get an idea. Um, it's not a scene I'm super familiar with, though I did play um, in some contemporary Christian um, churches as a guitarist uh, back when I was a later teenager. Maybe I was 18 or 19. Um. But yeah, that's super interesting. It almost sounds like it's, and Eric, obviously correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost a, like something of a delayed eulogy. It's been 24 years since he passed, but sort of a, like, it's, it's okay, man. Like rest, you did your work kind of thing. Yeah, it, it is. And this is, you know, not a lot of famous people pass that have an effect on me. Uh, I mean, death is a perfectly natural thing. His death was not natural at all, but you know, there's a few, uh, like Leonard Cohen bugged me, a Bowie. You know, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was, was big of me yeah, as a guitarist. But, but this one, this one hurt me to the core. I remember I was dating uh, my wife at the time in 97. And we had just gotten together maybe two months prior. And I, I called her and actually canceled our date that night. Uh, and she understood. She listened to him. I introduced her to his music. And she understood. She knew what this guy meant to me what kind of role model he was to me as a musician and as a person. And it still resonates. When we, when we get to that year anniversary every year, when, when September 19th rolls around every year, I still commemorate it you know, emotionally and still kind of relive that. Because this is a guy, he was you know, driving with a friend to, to a next, the next show he was going to play and got into a wreck and was ejected from the car. And then while he was on the road, he was hit by... Uh, a, a, a basically a semi truck hit him and 
I mean, my God, it, it's so so tragic and, and graphic. But it, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's but it's like his work was done <laughs> at that point, and that's what for whatever reason God said, "Hey, this is going to be your way." And but it was earth shaking to me as a time as a musician because I put, you know, so much of my my background was in Rich Mullins. And, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with uh, contemporary Christian music. Uh, nowadays, more hate than love. There's a lot of nostalgia there. But when you, you look back and you see how emotionally manipulating so many of it, you know, so much of it was at the time, and just so darn cheesy. I mean, that, that's horrible in and of itself. But uh, he was the one light, you know, and there's a handful of other artists in there that we could go into on like season three. But and I don't know about you, Lance. You you don't listen to much music at all. Was that ever you know was was CCM involved in your growing ups? Maybe with your parents or something. No, I I've never heard of his name before. I would have you, Yes, you have. You I mean, have heard of Rich Mullins. I'm sure I have. I'm sure I've played stuff, but I don't know. I don't remember any of that. So this is cool to hear your perspective on that because at that time I was just second or second year of college. So I was playing a lot of vineyard stuff at the time and playing at different churches and stuff, but I don't remember that at all. Yeah, well, you've played the songs, you know, and I invite you listeners, listeners, if you go out, you know, grab his greatest hits, uh, I think it's called Songs, or his records of The World is Best as I Remember It, Volume 1 and 2. They're just uh, amazing, even whether or not you're a person of faith or not how they're put together and the lyrical stories he tells. Simply amazing. Uh, fantastic. Gone too soon, but glad we have that reminder here on earth. So uh, unless there are some other thoughts, should we, should we play this tune now? Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, a good time to, to play it. All right. So here you go. West of house, family, friends, and fans. Here is fall down.
Okay, so there you go. I say it all the time. Love the song. Still love it. Still resonates with me. It's just, there's a comforting feel. Fall Down's like comfort food to me. Yeah, it's a very soothing song. It's it's on an album. It's a total change up, which it cleanses the palate. And it's just kind of those other little flavors that I think I love about our band. We can rock. We can do some love ballads. But we also can throw a few curveballs like this. And so I, that's one of my favorite songs on the album because it seems to have affected a lot of people and it's so different that people definitely remember it. They ask about it and it resonates as a, a total gear change on that album, which is fun. Well, and like Bobby said, it's, it's kind of a, a perfect ending to side one. If this were a vinyl, it's a perfect ending and it lends itself well into the side two opener, which we will be talking about next week in episode eight the wonderful, the strange, the gloriously absurd Caddy Wampus. I have thoughts to share with the group, but I'll save it for the next episode. <laughs> so Caddy Wampus, that's yeah. going to be a fun one. So, you know, do your homework, listen up, dive into the Wampus. It's a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Total different gear change. Yeah. They're definitely, definite gear change. So if you haven't subscribed to this podcast so you get notified of new episodes every time we release one, we are on a weekly release schedule. And if you listen on Podbean or wherever, that's where we're hosted, but any other Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, click subscribe. That helps us out. We'd also like to encourage you, go out there and give a listen to Drown the Wind. It's still relatively new, and I think it still kicks ass. So wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music, you know, iHeartRadio, and I'm going to say it, it, it's, I know what? for the past few weeks, uh, I have been saying nasty things about Pandora. Yes, we have. And I, I am here publicly to recant because I, I may or may <laughs> not have contacted them, you know, between the last episode and this one and Drown the Wind, thankfully, is now on Yay. Pandora. So thank you. Thank you, Pandora, for accepting us as real musicians. I don't know why you didn't put Crescendo on. Well, I'll fight that on another day. But you got Drown the Wind, and, you know, I, I won't say as many bad things about you. For, you know, indie music on Pandora, that's it's a win. That's David and Goliath right there. Woohoo! So uh, you can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, just look for West of House Band. Find us on Bandcamp at westofhouse.bandcamp.com. There you can actually buy Drown the Wind or Crescendo or the Pinecone EP or the Heaven Hell single, anything you want to do, and you can download that and own it forever and you know, financially support us. You don't have to. We're not, you know, we're not struggling, but it, it, sometimes it's nice to say, hey, we appreciate what you did. So so here's a beer. And that's pretty much what our stuff costs. Yes. You, know, you can get an album for you know, a six pack of beer that Lance would buy. Uh, and it would pay for 75% of a six pack of beer that I would buy because I am bougie and have more taste than Lance. That's true. And finally, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C as in cattywampus slash West of house. Go there and subscribe, go watch the entwined video. That's fun. Or go back into the annals of time and check out moving shadows or yesterday's or, Tommy blathering on about what drums he played, which is actually kind of interesting, you know, and you get a look at Tommy, which, well, you know, maybe just turn the video off and listen to the audio, but oh, wow. way, it's, it's going to be fun. There's a lot of stuff out there. So 
anything else guys? Otherwise I, I think uh, it's time to take off. We do love you, Tommy. We do. We, we love you, Tommy and shut up, Tommy. Uh, but more importantly, we love the rest of you who are listening. You're far less frustrating than Tommy. And we always appreciate you taking time out of your lives <laughs> on this 80, 90 minute, you know, session and spending it with us and getting to learn a little bit more about what makes us tick, what these songs are about. So we thank you. We look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Take care of yourselves. Go listen to some rock and roll. Turn it up loud. And goodbye. Side note, do you know how many keyboard sounds I have to edit out because of how hard you bang your keyboard, Bob? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you have a very loud keyboard. It is. Like, I'm uh, like, I'm listening. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, sorry. What is he doing? <laughs> At least I do it when I'm not talking so you can tell. You sound like, it sounds like the double bass from one from Metallica. I uh, So legit type, uh, this scares the people at my new work. I type 125 words a minute. That's yeah, that's not right. No, it's it's inhuman. I know.